Well, this is a hard psalm. No pastor opens up their Bible in their study and says, this would be good. Let's do Psalm 58. This psalm talks about evil and the spiritual realm, a vengeful God and a desire for vengeance. Why do we do this? Why do we put our pastors through this? Why are we even talking about this? Frankly, it is easier to just talk about love all of the time. It's easier. It's easier to avoid the heavy and difficult revelation of Scripture. It's easier to avoid all the spots that we'd just rather not talk about. That God is easier, the one that we would modify and change, that God is easier to understand, perhaps. But friends, we don't need an easy God. We need a God who is real and can stand up to the complexity and the magnitude of this life, this existence, where we see evil and wickedness every day. The God revealed in Scripture and revealed here can stand up to the atrocities we see every day. To modify or to soften the God of Scripture so that we feel comfortable talking about Him leaves us vulnerable unprotected and without hope in this world with no real answer to the evil that we experience. We as a church endeavor to proclaim the God of Scripture and we have set ourselves on a collision course with many of the difficult passages because we say, here's the book we're going to do, we're just going to preach. On every page, He revealed himself this way, so we will proclaim him this way. And because he is the one doing the revealing, we can trust that it is good. And because we are with him, it will be good for us. So let's lean in. Put on a seatbelt. It's the kind of morning. This is a dumb question, but I'll start with it anyway. Are you aware that there is wickedness in this world? What is your reaction when you are reminded again of the presence of wickedness and of the existence of evil? When you open up your newspaper and see the latest tragedy splashed on the page, are you frustrated? Are you annoyed? When you see that justice has been denied again, when you see that injustice has been ignored again, are you complacently expectant? Yeah, that's, that's usually what happens. Or are you furious? When you see abuse or murder, terrorism or war, do you just frown and turn your eyes away? When another leader is shown to be evil, not leading people with wisdom toward justice and righteousness, but away from wisdom toward foolishness, death and deceit, do you shake your head and say, of course, or does your heart burn within you because this is not how things ought to be? When you observe wickedness up close, do you accommodate? Do you compromise? Do you judge on a sliding scale because no one's perfect? It's okay. We can't expect goodness and excellence. My friends, every blemish in existence, every spot 
of injustice that we observe, each bit of bad and stain of evil is a reminder that things ought not be this way. The presence of evil is not just an unfortunate reality to our existence. It is a blemish on that which is good. It is the ruining of good. The unfortunate evidence that something foreign is at rebellious work in the creation of God. And when our hearts again experience the evil, the wickedness in this world, we should not merely shake our head and hope that Monday will be better. We should want remedy. We should want restoration. We should want vengeance against wickedness. This morning, Psalm 58 meditates on the presence of wickedness and its propagators in the world. David walks through the emotions and does not laugh it off or say, oh well, but instead yearns for the vengeance of God against the wicked. Together, as we lean into this stark and raw and intense psalm, we're going to be reminded that a righteous heart, a righteous heart yearns for the vengeance of God against the wicked. This psalm walks through four parts. First, describing the wicked and those who they follow and crying out to God for response and placing expectation on Him. Let's read the first part. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David. Oh, there he is. A miktam of David. This song is for the choir master. That's who it was given to here. Play this song It is a miktam of David, that's a Hebrew genre of song, and it is played to the tune, Do Not Destroy. We are not sure what type of melody that song had, but it was likely the type of song asking for mercy or grace where none was deserved. Just looking through or reading through like we just did, Psalm 58, puts that tune in tension with the lyrics of this psalm. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a popular habit of worship leaders several years ago to put everything into a minor key. Doesn't matter the song, doesn't matter how joyful the song was, we'd put it, that was me, let's be honest, we'd put it into a minor key and those lyrics that seemed happy and joyful would be overlaid with minor chords and a somber tone. And there was a change in character to the entire production. A tension would exist. You would remain on edge and forced to look more closely. What do these words say? The tune is do not destroy, but the lyrics sound more like please do destroy. This causes the listener to focus and hear things one would normally miss. So let's pay close, close attention. David starts his song. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of men uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. David calls out the gods. I know we're not used to talking about this, but David calls out the gods, the little g gods who set themselves up to judge the children of men. These are the false gods, fallen angels, demons that spend their time pretending to be gods worth listening to to whom one should give their life and worship. And every one of them desires to pull worship away from the true Creator, God, Yahweh. 
Yahweh, the one who created all we see and desires justice and righteousness and relationship with us, his creation. In the Bible, these gods have names, Baal, Astareth, Chemish, Dagon. And just flipping through the pages of Scripture shows that they encourage vile and wicked things. In history, other cultures have worshipped other gods. The Greeks had their Zeus and Aphrodite, Dionysus. The Romans had their Jupiter and Venus. Frankly, you either worship Yahweh or you worship another god. This is not simply an ancient idea that we have progressed our way out of. Don't listen to the lie today that all that is is just the physical. All is just material and nothing spiritual exists. In our current day, as a culture, we tend to think ourselves very modern and thus not spiritualistic. But little gods still set themselves up as alternates to the one true God. We may not worship Aphrodite by name in her temple of sex, but worship of sex still happens. We may not pour out our wine to the drunken god Dionysus, but the worship of drunkenness and stupidness and chaos continues. And there are new names for new religions. The pantheon of the Hindu gods, or Allah. And they all set themselves up as those that would judge and lead the children of men uprightly. As false gods to deceive and pull away from the one true God. And David calls them out. Do you decree what is right? What is righteous? Do you lead and judge mankind rightly? Those you have convinced to follow you instead of God? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. You are coming up with ways to do wrongs, to twist the good, to create evil. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. You do not bring harmony, but discord. Worship of you does not bring righteousness and justice. It brings death and violence, not peace and joy. Following your lead does not bring righteousness. Those that follow you are wicked. David has called out the gods. Now he's going to describe their followers, the wicked, those who follow not Yahweh, but other gods. Starting in verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter. The wicked from birth are estranged. They are separate from what ought to be, from right living. They are separate from the good Creator God and His right understanding of living life as it ought to be in concert with Him and with neighbor. From birth they are broken. From birth they are astray, walking the wrong road, only increasing the distance from their Creator God. From birth they are speaking lies. One does not need to be taught how to lie. You ever talk to a two-year-old? One does not need to be taught how to lie. Sin is in the wicked from the beginning. It is not caught by accidents like a disease when one comes in contact with an unsavory character. It is innate. Born in it. 
the fluent tongue of the wicked is lying. And their mouths have venom, poison like that of a serpent. There is no life in the mouth of a serpent. There is sickening death in the mouth of a serpent. I can't help but think of the serpent in the garden here. If you go back to Genesis, the very beginning, the one whose words were the ultimate poison of Adam and Eve. The words that coaxed and convinced them to no longer trust God, the Creator, who created them, but instead, let's follow my lead. Let's go this way. The words when followed that brought a curse on all we see. The words of that ancient serpent, the devil, as the Bible later describes. The wicked have the same poison of the snake. Their mouths are poisoned, but David continues, they have stopped their ears like an adder that cannot hear the voice of the charmer. The charmer is the one who would guide the snake and shape their path. The one that would keep it from biting people. The snake, the wicked, will not listen to guidance. This is the character quality that does not want to hear truth or wisdom. The one who says, I would rather shut my ears and hear nothing than hear the truth. To hear how things ought to be. I will continue to go astray, away from God. I don't give a rip what he says. The wicked continue to be wicked and they will not hear the truth. They will not hear a warning. They will not hear wisdom or a plea, winsome or not. No, I will cheat my neighbor even if it is wrong. I plan to get ahead. I will still bend truth to get what I want. I'll make it a little fuzzy around the edges when I speak to people so they are deceived. I want to deceive those so that they believe me and I get what I want. I will use my place of power to hurt the disadvantaged and the powerless. I will take the sex and the money and the power I want because I want it. I will kill the ones that get in my way. You guys know these stories. We don't need to look to ancient history to see egregious examples of death and destruction. We have not progressed our way out of this. Because evil people have stopped their ears to truth, continue to chase after evil in all its facets. David describes the wicked people he observes as comprehensively evil. They ignore truth and we lack none today. Such wickedness demands response and David appeals directly to God in the next section. In verse 6, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. David screams to the one true God, Elohim. Break the teeth in their mouths. We have lions roaming around killing people. Again, I'm reminded of Satan himself roaming around as a lion looking for someone to devour. There are lions out there with real deadly teeth, out for blood, killing people. Murdering people, children, families, the defenseless. David saw it in his day, unrighteous kings chasing the good. The treachery of betrayal, evil countries attacking and killing smaller tribes. The killing of children and worship to the false gods. This is not simply ancient news. We see it now. Just open up the newspaper. The revelation of large-scale sexual abuse by a powerful man. A shooting in Texas, a shooting in Ohio, a bombing in Turkey, a bombing in Pakistan. This is just from the last week. 
God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out their fangs, O Lord. And when he appeals to the Lord, he appeals to Yahweh. Yahweh, the God who has revealed himself to us and gave us his name. The creator God who makes covenant with us, relationship with us. The God who is far above all gods. The God who is mightier than any strong one. Break their teeth in. Stop their ability to bring death and blood. Their ability to hurt and maim. He continues, let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. In short, let their end be quick and sudden. Like water disappearing on a dry riverbed, let them disappear. Let their arrows be useless, like slammed against a concrete wall. Like a snail or slug dissolving under a hot sun. Let it be as though they had never been born. Like a bunch of kindling that is swept away before it can even catch fire, before it can even bring a little bit of heat to the pot so the water boils. End the wicked quickly. Now do not delay. Because they continue to bring wickedness. Evil seems to be winning. The request is in stark rhetoric. We don't talk like this. But this is as our hate of wickedness should be. We often want to be softer. It sounds too harsh. Friends, wickedness is horrible. David has a right view of evil. He hates evil and wants it gone. He wants the producers of evil to be finished, finally, completely. I fear that we are so used to evil, so accustomed to his presence, that we become complacent with it. We are slightly comfortable with it. Every bit of evil screams in opposition to the goodness of God. Every stain of evil is an example of good twisted and distorted into a hideous spectacle. Every theft is a reversal of generosity. Every cheat is a mauling of love of neighbor. Every abuse is one who used power not to protect, but to prey upon and use. Trust manipulated. Every death and killing and murder is the extinguishing of a life that is a reflection of God. A face of dignity, an image of God, the true God himself. And we ought to be screaming. This should not be. End it now. Stop it now before it has time to fester. Break their teeth. Stop them in the moment, in an instant. David rightly longs for immediate relief, but he knows vengeance is coming. He continues in 10. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there was a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Someday, in the future for which we long, God will bring vengeance. God will bring punishment of evil. God will stop evil. And this reminds us, God, not you, 
will bring vengeance. Our job is not to take vengeance into our own hands and deal with it right now, but to put it rightly into the hands of whom it belongs. We leave it in the hands of God who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The God who can rightly and adequately and fully deal and punish evil. And in that day when wickedness is thwarted and the lions muted and the serpents crushed, the righteous will rejoice. Those who are with God and long for the end of evil, they will sing songs of victory, triumphant songs. He will bathe his feet. Don't picture a bathtub, but instead a battleground. A field of rebels lined up in rebellion against God in hopes of thwarting the one true God. And the rebellion is massive. As far as the eye can see, the rebels fill the plains. And God will squash rebellion. God will kill the wicked. His victory will be complete and final. And if one were to walk across the aftermath of that battle, a battle of that kind of magnitude, of the end of such evil, all evil, one's feet would indeed be submerged in the blood of the wicked. This is metaphoric language, but it is not heard of on the field of battle. This happens in war. There is that much evil twisting creation. There are that many rebels tilting their souls against the God of the universe. And this language speaks to the finality of the end of evil. And when evil is squashed, the righteous will Rejoice. Because we want evil to be gone. And when God does it, we will be happy. It will be a joyous day. And mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Which takes us back to the beginning. Remember he called out the gods, the little false gods. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? You little evil gods. No, you do not. But there is a reward for the ones who are righteous, who follow and walk with God, Yahweh. Do you judge uprightly, O gods, you little evil gods? No, you do not. You only lead to wickedness, but there is surely, clearly, obviously, a God who judges this earth rightly. Mankind will know that's true when they see the God who is the judge of all evil. God is a God in whom we can put our hope and we see the presence of evil and long for its end. We have not been left to our own devices in a nihilistic, God-forsaken world. There is a God who judges existence as it ought to be judged, rightly calling out evil and meting out punishment appropriately. There is a God who will bring vengeance against wickedness. And we can put our hope in Him. We can long for His return. We can long for His arrival. Some of this may be striking you as overly harsh. Can't we just be nicer? To shy away from the vengeance of God is to want a God different than the Bible portrays. Sin and wickedness deserve death. Rebellion against a good God deserves death. Twisting 
God's good creation to do something evil deserves death. God knows that. And that is why Christ and the cross are part of our story. The world scoffs at that story, but we revel in that story. 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Apart from the work of God on the cross, we belong to the wicked side of the ledger. Stopping our ears and spitting lies. Romans says, We were enemies of God. We were evil. We were the wicked also. But to us who are being saved, we put our hope in the cross where God revealed His power and where God rightly punished our wickedness in Jesus. In Christ, those who were once enemies of God, who rightly should have feared the judgment and vengeance of God, we have been made friends of God because of the cross. We have been saved. We are the righteous because of the cross. Vengeance and mercy, justice and grace meet at the cross. Now we can take the vengeance out of our own hands and give it to God. We can look evil in the face and hate it and long for its quick and sudden destruction and not have to take up the sword ourselves, but instead pray to the God of vengeance while proclaiming the God of grace. And either way, God will deal appropriately with the evil ones either through the punishment of Jesus or through their own punishment. Friend, if you are heading towards punishment, if you know you're on the wicked side of the ledger, following someone other than the one true God, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He will be your salvation or He will be your judgment. You decide. He wants to put your punishment on Jesus rather than you. But he will not hesitate to squash rebellion. Friends, our cosmic hope is the vengeance of God on wickedness. You look out at this world and it should break your heart. But we have a hope. We have a God that will end it. We have a God that will restore and fix and mend But you say the days seem long. The days are long. We wait for that future day. I was reminded of that day this week working in this passage. Of the day of the rejoicing of the righteous. One of the pastors in that group of people wrestling with Psalm 58 told me an interesting fact as we were working through this passage. He said the word hallelujah shows up many times in the Bible. You know this word. Halle in Hebrew is praise. Yah or Yahweh is the Lord. Praise the Lord, that's what hallelujah means. Praise Yahweh. It shows up many times, especially in the Psalms, but four times in the New Testament it shows up, and all of them in response, a response in Revelation 19. And Revelation, with its vivid and swirling word pictures pointing towards a day of final redemption, in those pictures, Babylon is the epitome of, the great city of wickedness set up against the city of God. And in Revelation 18, it describes the destruction, the final end of all that is the city of wickedness that encompasses every wicked citizen of history. 
This city and all of its facets, all of its industry and business and creativity, all of it is bent towards evil. And Revelation says that city will be thrown down. In Revelation 18, an angel says, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And and craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who had been slain on the earth. It says all the instruments of evil will finally be put to rest. The city will be stopped and ended, destroyed and finished. No more shall anyone be slain. And now the songs of rejoicing at the beginning of chapter 19. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute, that is the city of Babylon, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes out, goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Friends, the song of the rejoicing will be loud and in unison. They will shake the surroundings because this description of the day of the righteous rejoicing is that when evil will be put to its end. We are the bride, the church. All who put their trust in Jesus, we are the church that longs for this final day when evil is finally silenced. No more hurt. No more pain, no more death, no more lies, no more deception, no more manipulation, no more slaughter, no more falsely wielded power. Evil will cease, wickedness will die, finally, completely, fully, we will rejoice. And in that day, God will be with His people, unencumbered by wickedness anymore. The righteous will be with their God where there will be feast alongside Jesus after He has thoroughly and finally wiped out evil. We will rejoice and our hearts will be glad because our hearts will have yearned for the vengeance of God on wickedness for so long and God will one day finally do it. That day is coming. Let's pray. Lord Yahweh, great and mighty, only true God. Give us hearts that are broken and furious when we see evil. Let us not be accommodating or complacent. Every spot is a blemish on your good creation and how you desire to have the world operate. 
Help us feel that in your bones. Help us long for restored creation, restored goodness, unencumbered majesty. Give us a righteous longing for vengeance, a true desire for the end of evil. And help us put that vengeance into your hands, the good judge. Give us a patience as we wait for the day when you will destroy the evil city and we get to sit with you. Let that be our hope and our expectation and our encouragement. Amen.